Over the last two decades, I've been in an insatiable quest to learn everything I can about leadership. What makes the best leaders so good? After running companies small and large over the last 20 years, today, I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo. I'm your host, and I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this very topic and what makes the best leader so good. Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. All right, Tomorrow's Leaders. So I've got a guest today, Chris Gilbert, who is an expert in business ethics. He's got a really cool story, kind of what prompted him to get into that. But this is a, a great topic. I haven't had, I don't think I've had another guest on to talk about this. And the reason why I say it's an interesting topic is because I think a lot of people say, well, yeah, you know, I've got a strong moral compass, so I know what to do. And it's really black and white. I know the right answer versus wrong answer. There's sometimes it's not always the case. And it's much more complex than that. And especially as a leader, leading the right culture and helping ensure that everybody in your organization knows when ethics are in question, what situations might come up, how you handle different things. So there's a lot to this. It's not just saying, okay, well, I know the difference between right and wrong. So um, in any event, this was a really good conversation that helps to kind of get you dipped in the water, so to speak. I guess that's probably the best way to say it and um, open your eyes maybe a little bit to a whole different uh, category or uh, topic around leadership. So I enjoyed the conversation a lot. I think you'll enjoy listening to it. And here is Chris Gilbert. All right. Welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader related, related to leading yourself and leading others. I'm John Larito, your host. I've got a great guest for you today. I've got Chris Gilbert, who is an international consultant and keynote speaker, speaking on the topics of ethics and organizational development. He's also the author of The Noble Edge. Chris, welcome to the show. John, thank you so much. It's a real privilege. Yeah, it's very, very much a privilege. And uh, you and I have had some great conversation. I love the topic of ethics and certainly a an incredibly important topic when it comes to leadership, of leading your own life and, and uh, leading organizations. I'd love to start just how did you get into this topic in particular? What was the trigger or the motivator for you to start diving deep into business ethics? Well, I'd love to say it's a simple, happy story. I'll keep it a simple story, but it's probably less than happy uh, because we had put together a startup organization. This is back in the mid 80s and gotten about a million and a half in venture capital, which back then was a pretty big deal. Yeah. And uh, we hired 35 employees. We ran it for about three years and we were looking to expand the business. The business was called Cravings, by the way. It was a food delivery company, uh, which is really seeing its heyday now. But this was back in the 80s. At any rate, uh, we started looking at large strategic partners to try and get the money we needed, the capital we needed to expand across the U.S. into three cities and then beyond, hopefully. It was very successful where we were, up in a little small provincial town in Bellingham, Washington. Um, but we really needed to get into larger cities, so that's where we were headed. We had uh, two organizations really step up to the plate. One of them came, uh, spent a month with us looking at the operation and satisfying themselves that it was good, and we were really on the path to do something uh, fundam fun fundamentally different in the food delivery business. And uh, they left. And about six weeks later, we got a, a note from them, letter from them saying, you know, sorry, uh, we're not going to get into this. We're going to stick with our regular uh, frozen foods and other things. And, and uh, that way uh, we'll do the business that we know best. 
Well, we were obviously very disappointed and we were negotiating with another company at the time. Um, and uh, we discovered about six weeks into all of this, that this company that had come out and spent time with us opened a like organization, a mirror organization, if you will, out in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, to kind of keep it quiet because they were test marketing as well. But it looked exactly like our company. It used the same vehicles. It used the same menu. It used the same kind of marketing. And so we were just livid, of course, about this. Our venture capitalists at that point said, you know what, Uh, this isn't going to go anywhere if that large company's got in first and they've got the money, the capital to expand it. Um, So you need to shut down your operation. I think one of the hardest days I ever had was laying off 35 employees, good employees that had been with us for so many years and shutting the company down. I didn't think about it at the time, believe it or not, as a business ethics incident. Um, I just was disappointed that we couldn't move forward on this. And I think we'd be making a lot of money now with uh, so much food delivery happening now. But at any rate, um, I think that's really the inkling, the seed that got planted into me. I already had an MBA in business. Um, I actually went back into teaching at that point as a professor at a number of universities here and and around the world. And uh, I just began to think about it that, you know, the decision set that was made by the people that turned us down um, wasn't particularly ethical. Um, In fact, it was very unethical. And there had to be another way to thinking about making better choices in businesses, because obviously this just doesn't happen to us. It's happened all the time, all around the world in many different locations to lots of different businesses. And it's just not the right way to think about how to earn money over the long term. Mm. Um, You know, taking out the smaller folks that couldn't afford to go to court and and, uh, argue the point. So I think that's really what planted the seed. And in my teaching, I started introducing ethics in a much stronger vein. And uh, after that, decided if I was going to do this uh, as a living, I needed to go back and get my doctorate in ethics so that I at least could pretend I knew what I was talking about. And uh, then I did that. And it really kind of just began expanding after about 2000 because of all of the incidents that we've seen, high profile cases that we've seen in the media about businesses making really bad decisions. So I've had a chance to do this in the classroom and the boardroom and the family room. And it's been a really interesting conversation. And that's what the book is about, starting a new conversation. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, that's a, that's a, uh, a bad story with certainly uh, prompted you to get into a great business and hopefully, uh, and I know you have and been impacting tons of people and organizations through what you're doing, uh, but it's unfortunate that's how it started. The Do you, do you see this, are ethical issues decision-making, is it is it always, uh, and this may sound like a kind of a silly question, but is it always consciously unethical decisions that people or companies make? Are there ever times where it's unintentional and they just don't think through things and it becomes an ethical or is that contradict the definition? Yeah. If you think about it, maybe one thing uh, we're going to try and avoid is thinking about an organization as being unethical because of course organizations are made up of us people. So it's the people inside the organizations that are making choices. And while no one ever walks into, you know, president or CEO never walks into the corporate boardroom and says, all those in favor of, uh, of uh, making a lot of money and, and uh, shuttling other businesses to the side to make them lose, um, raise your hand. Um, this is really about people who make choices and rationalize those choices on any number of platforms. And I think that really is the essence uh, of the book, is trying to talk about or personalize 
ethics as a choice. Are there unwitting choices that we make um, or individuals and organizations can make? Yeah, but I think the larger cases that we see, the stuff that gets really covered in the media, social media or otherwise, um, the big mistakes, the Volkswagens, the Enrons, um, the Theranoses, given what's going on now with Elizabeth Holmes, I think those have been witting conscious uh, attempts to do something. Maybe they rationalize them as being proper or even ethical. But in fact, if you look at ethics from a different perspective than those people might have, it really isn't about a choice that helps them regardless of what happens to others. Ethics is about a choice that helps you and helps others. And so thinking about that larger circle is really the uh, potent model in the book about trying to make ethical choices individual or as a leader in organization. It makes sense. Have you seen in the time that you've been working on this, what's the trend? I mean, are there overall, what has the trend been? And are there certain industries where this is more prevalent than others? uh, Or is it across the board pretty much the same? I would say it's probably evenly across the board. What I'm very, despite the fact that I spend my life in this arena, I'm very hopeful, very optimistic about what's going on because I see more and more individuals and organizations talking about this subject. And maybe that's a, a part of the what's happening over the last four or five years when it's been a particularly toxic moral era. And so that's got the conversation going. Or maybe it's just a different understanding of, of again, a, a way that we need to make better choices that we do because we're seeing the result of the bad choices that we make. And so thinking about it from that perspective, I think that I'm very optimistic that organizations are now having these conversations, both about ethics and social responsibility. So maybe the seed got planted in organizations from that social responsibility standpoint, what responsibility they have for the local community, the larger community, the international community, the environment. I think that's led them also to have conversations about uh, the moral development or the ethics, the business conduct inside their organizations. But I think it's across the board. I don't think there's any uh, one industry over another um, that's uh, spending less time, unless it was maybe government or uh, health. Mm-hmm. I think uh, government anyway probably spends less time than they ought to uh, talking about these conversations and setting up systems where uh, the conduct of people is uh, is uh, more accountable. Yeah, no doubt. What, what about a, a situations where, and I know I've talked to leaders that have been around uh, other leaders or in organizations or cultures that just are unethical um some where it's just there's there's a whole culture around it others where they might be in a situation where they're dealing with a leader that's doing or about to do something unethical what's your message to that type of person i mean that can be uncomfortable first of all you're not necessarily the person that's making that decision or or acting in that way but you're around it you're close to it maybe you are part of it how do you handle that situation as a leader yeah, maybe the first thing to say is, you know, the, one of the major differences between great leaders and mediocre or poor leaders is that uh, great leaders want to find the truth. Uh, mediocre leaders just want to be right. And so in going after the truth, you're going to come across some of the things that you're talking about and understanding of your impact on others around you, whether they're in the organization or outside of the organization. And so when you've got leaders that are looking for the truth, of course, you think about that, that's really the bottom line for ethics is truth and truth and trustworthiness. Um, then you're probably an organization that is listening and you've got an opportunity to, to uh, state something or, or uh, bring up a point or ask questions about whether the direction things are going is right. 
right. Those are good organizations. In the organizations where the leader just simply wants to be right, very difficult sometimes to get the right information out to the right decision makers to make the right choices. And sometimes it literally just comes down to moral courage. Uh, because if you think about it, uh, you're the only person that you see in the mirror in the morning, uh, shaving or making up your hair, um, and you have to decide who it is that you want to live with. Um, and I'm not saying that that's always the easiest choice to make because personal circumstances don't always allow for us to make a quick choice. But it is something that's going to gnaw at you over time if you're in that organization, which really isn't worried about what the truth is and wants to march on to a days of profit. Um, but there is some information, I don't necessarily want to state it all now, but there is some information that talks about the profitability uh, and the energy inside of companies that take on responsibility um, for the environment, for the community around them, and have as part of their mission uh, the idea of being trustworthy and, and making sure that the consumers can always trust the uh, their words and their actions. And it's highly profitable to be in an organization that's like that. So even as an individual thinking about your future and the long term, uh, getting yourself out of a situation where that sort of stuff isn't important to the organization and finding one where it is, and there are lots of different kinds of um, periodicals and social media and libraries even that can get you information about the companies that make it part of their mission, uh, to be honest. Um, getting yourself out of where you are and into something else is only gonna lead to your health and uh, your betterment as well. Mm -hmm. What is, what's the, um, let's talk about transparency because I see a lot of leaders that, uh, that feel like they are transparent. They feel like, and these are two different things, but they do overlap or intersect in some way. They feel like they're authentic yet at the same point, they, they, they may not be, or other people don't perceive them to be. What does that mean to you for a leader or, or an organization that's transparent, and or authentic, what does that really look like or mean? Yeah, in the book, I actually spend some time talking about this, both at the organizational level and at the individual level. Um, and the idea that there is a difference between being truthful and being transparent. Um, and that sometimes actually uh, being ethical isn't about transparency, it's about truthfulness. And I explain the difference as sort of a personal a, a, a personal example. Uh, if you consider yourself going in with your partner and uh, going to a place where they're buying clothing and they step into a changing room with something and then they step out of that changing room and they look at you and say, you know, that terrible question, how do I look? Well, I, I think then sometimes you might go through this a debate about, well, do I just say exactly what I think? You've never looked chubbier. That's an awful color on you. It makes you look like you're a foot shorter, whatever it is. You, you want to be uh, transparent with them and say exactly what it is. Or are there feelings here that are going to count in the answer that you give? And so we have a tendency to use coded language and say, oh, that's the reddest red you've ever worn. Or what an interesting thing to wear. I'm not sure that really fits with the occasions that we're gonna be, you know, you might wanna be wearing that. We may wanna think about some other things. And so you do have to think about, at least at an individual level, about the emotional component between truthfulness and transparency. Um, and being transparent isn't always the most ethical way to answer the question. Now, if we think about organizations, it's slightly different. Um, that is, we have to think about organizations being transparent in a way that we can walk through the door and see the things that we need to see and understand the things that we need to understand. Um, the Theranos issue with Elizabeth Holmes and trial and, and uh, uh, the, her partner now, and I think the trial started today. Um, that's definitely about them being far 
from transparent and also far from honest in the things that they were saying. So you couldn't walk through the doors of that organization and see the things that you needed to see financially or by technology and make the right kinds of choices. In fact, they purposely hid what was going on so that you didn't go in and get the the right information to make a choice about investing. So organizations do need to be transparent, but they need to do it within the uh, parameters that allow them to maintain uh, corporate secrets, corporate technologies, uh, corporate plans for the future that their uh, uh, competition might very well want to know about and try and do something about before it's online. Um, And so you need to temper that transparency, whether it's financial, technological, organizational, whatever it is, with the idea that we need time in this organization to be able to develop something, to bring it from point A where we had an idea to point Z where it's finally ready to come out. The organization does need time to do this. Boards need time to do this when they're talking financially. So there needs to be a time lag so that we on the outside who may not have everything going on in the organization have what's going behind the curtain us and we go, oh, well, that's terrible. That's a bad thing. Well, we haven't finished yet. We're not all the way there. So transparency in organizations has to be tempered with that amount of time. We can still be honest about it. That is, we can still talk from an organizational perspective on the fact that we need some time and that we're thinking of different alternatives and that we're working on these things and that at a certain point, we're going to come out with the information that you're asking for, but you got to give us time to be able to do that. And I'm not speaking so much financially. Financial records really have to be pretty transparent from day one to day 365 each year. Um, But there is some tempering that needs to be done. Do you feel like, and back almost to your example with your spouse or significant other coming coming out, not looking their best, do you feel like leaders oftentimes end up going down that road of not being honest when they have, or transparent, when they have bad news in particular to deliver to somebody and they're trying to temper the message or spin the message or whatnot? Is that where you're seeing it a lot uh, in, in your interactions with leaders and how can they handle that? Yeah, I would say that one of the trickiest things, and and I'll go back to my example where you're with your partner and and you don't want to tell them exactly what you're thinking. Um, So you tell them what's honest in your mind, but you're not exactly transparent about it. You know, there are questions that you could ask about that situation that we can also ask about the organizational situation. One of the questions you could ask is, well, why is this person asking you? what it is that they, they they have on that is is it your opinion that makes the entire difference between keeping it or not keeping it are they asking you because they have ulterior motives as well they want to hear a yes they like it anything they put on they want to hear yes and so that's really what they're expecting and they don't hear that so suddenly it's some kind of a flub they're actually conversations that ought to happen before that situation occurs where you can test the waters, right? If you're being so tested by the person walking out of the the, uh, changing room and test the waters and say, okay, so if you walk out with something that I don't like, what is it you'd like me to tell you? Or if you walk out with something and you ask me, how do I look? What are you looking for? You want to know that it looks good to me, that it's going to look good to others, that it looks good to you. Uh, You know, you, you need to understand what the motive of the question really is. And if we take that over to the organizational side, um, and we're talking about this idea of transparency, we know there are all kinds of landmines because the people that are asking the questions about the organization and want to know something about it may very well 
be uh, uh, full of ulterior motives to the information that they're trying to get. So we do have to spend some time sorting that out. And that's why I say total transparency all the time isn't going to work because the motives of the questions, in fact, aren't transparent. We're looking for something else in your answer. um, And uh, you uh, need to tell us that information and let us do anything we want with it. Well, in an organization that's developing new products and new technologies and new plans and new systems, um, or, or they're uh, being bought or being sold, um, some of these things need that time. And we need to make sure that whatever's reached the point of maturation needs to be there before some of that information gets out. And so I always say what you want to do inside an organization is keep very clear records for yourself of A, what it was you were D, doing, and B, what it was you were saying to the outside world about what you were doing so that if there's any question about what happened along the way, you can bring those records out and say, here's what we were doing. Here's what we told you. Here were the questions that you had. Here's how we answered them. Mm -hmm. And then you've got a log that kind of begins to talk about what the motivations on both sides might be. Yeah, makes sense. I see a lot of leaders that that are sometimes, and to your point before, I loved how you said it, mediocre leaders want to be right. Great leaders want to find the truth. Uh, I think leaders, especially the ones that are looking for, uh, they're looking to be supported in their own beliefs and they're looking for the right answers and they they don't really want to know necessarily the true story. They ask questions that are, are ba- or basically creating a feeling of, I can't be totally open with this leader mm. because there's some negative consequence if I give bad news or the real story or the real scoop. And I see some of those leaders that are unintentionally creating that. Uh, and and I think it's important, and I really like that because that sticks in my mind about mediocre leaders want to be right. I think the leaders really need to understand it's not just asking for updates from their teams or report ups about things that are going on in their organization, but really setting the example that it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. I want the truth and the reality and the uh, accurate uh, answer, not just the answer that you think I want to have or I, I'm looking for. Is that is that right? Yeah. You know, at the 35,000 foot level, if you were wearing ethics lenses or business conduct lenses, lenses to a- answer this question, um, it really has to do with the level of trustworthiness inside the organization. Uh, which is often really hinging on the agreement between someone's words and someone's deeds, their words and their actions, right? That's where we pick up what's trustworthy. That's where we understand someone's trustworthiness is, have they done what it is that they said they've done? And I'm sure uh, your, your listeners and maybe yourself, you've been in organizations where someone was saying one thing, like for instance, we're open and honest here, we'll take all questions, we'll have these dialogues, I'll be down every day in the lunchroom. Um, that's supposed But in fact, as you see things play out, uh, it doesn't happen that way at all. Uh, That person is very uh, scant. They're not around very much. Um, They're certainly not having uh, uh, conversations with the groups in the organization. Or if they do, it's more like what I call a versation, not a conversation. It's one person imparting their information to you rather than asking uh, questions of you and and trying to find out the truth inside the organizations. And I, I work with a lot of leaders that may not be aware 
that they do that. But having spent time or doing surveys in the company, especially among the senior leaders in the company, it's pretty easy early on to understand um, that there's some difference between a person's words and a person's actions. And that if you start to look at it that way, it's a little bit easier to begin to mend those things um, so that they are building trustworthiness. Mm. Um, You know, if you think about this on an individual, I'll ask at my individual level, I'll ask at my um, seminars or my keynotes sometimes uh, what the most important human virtue is. And quite often, uh, most often, people will say love. And that's a great answer uh, because, of course, love does differentiate us from most of the other life on the planet. Um, And so if you step back a second and think about it, what underscores, what's the foundation of that love, especially true love with somebody else? Um, It's trust, it's truthfulness, it's trustworthiness. How can you have a deep, loving relationship with anybody if you don't trust or they don't trust uh, you in the relationship? So, in fact, a trust is what animates uh, our virtues. And I would say, I'd go on to say boldly, it animates all the virtues. Uh, that sense of trustworthiness or truthfulness from an individual actually is at the heart of all the virtues that we have, especially something like uh, true love. And uh, so that idea that we need to think about the level of our trustworthiness um, and our truthfulness, and again, thinking about the agreement of our words and actions is a great gauge. Mm-hmm. Um, that becomes a particularly important conversation to have either as an individual with your partner or inside of an organization where you're really, in a sense, talking with the people around you to find out how much they do trust what it is that's going on or do trust you to uh, in, in the leadership role that you've got. I love it. Great, great words of wisdom. So, Chris, uh, The Noble Edge, it's out now. I know people can get it all over the place, right? Amazon. What what are the best places? Bookstores or just Amazon the best place? Amazon, Barnes & Nobles. We were just down at Powell's Bookstore in Oregon. I don't know. That's a fabulous used bookstore. It's uh, what, five stories high and it's all used books. Um, uh, we love uh, to uh, support the local community bricks and mortar. So you're able to get it um, in any of the brick and mortar stores that may be in your local area. You can also get it if by writing us at Noble Edge Consulting. Um, we've got copies and signed copies if you want to get one of the book as well. So Great. it's available. It's out there. We've gotten 15 awards um, for the book, just got one two days ago, the Outstanding Creator Award for uh, first in moral development and ethics and second in nonfiction. So it was a real nice, uh, 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 nice verification that we may have written something here that might be worthwhile for people. Outstanding. Well, congrats on the awards. Congrats on the book. We'll have all that in the show notes so listeners can click and get uh, right to it. And if they want to engage directly with you or learn more about what you do, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, same thing. If they just go to www.NobleEdgeConsulting, that's all one word. It looks like it's got two E's in the middle, the N-O-B-L-E-E-D-G-E. And so it looks a little bit like noblege. NobleEdgeConsulting.com. Um, you can actually speak directly to me via email. And uh, we're usually pretty good at answering within 24 hours. I love to hear from the folks that are out there, either questions about ethics or if they've read the book, uh, what their feelings are. If you do go to Amazon or Barnes and Nobles, please leave uh, a review of it. We've gotten about, I don't remember, 40 or so reviews now. um, uh, And they've been absolutely marvelous. They've been great reviews. All of them are five star, all but two are five star. But we love the critiquing as well. If there are things that we can change um, or examples that we can provide that make things clear, I'm up for that. It's great. Great. Well, I I got my copy. I'm looking forward to reading it. And uh, I appreciate you joining the show, Chris. It's been enlightening, informative, entertaining. So I hope you come back at uh, some point down the road. 
Well, John, thank you so much. I'd look at it as a real privilege if I got invited back. So You got it. Good. Well, we've been here with Chris Gilbert, international consultant and keynote speaker on ethics and organizational development, author of The Noble Edge. We'll have all that info in the show notes. And I appreciate you joining today on this episode of Tomorrow's Leader. As always, appreciate when you share, like, subscribe, and go down below, give those five-star reviews, and look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching. Reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's J-O-H-N at L-A-U-R-I-T-O-G-R-O-U-P.com. Thanks. Lead on.